You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. All right, we are starting a new series today, and we've called it simply Live Expectantly, the story of the church then and now. And the big idea is this, as we look to the New Testament, we look to the book of Acts, we get the clearest picture of the church that we have. And the question is, well, what is normative for the church based on what we read in the New Testament? How should we expect God to move today when we read about things in the book of Acts and in the New Testament? And I've become more convinced over the last couple of years that the church should and can look a lot more like the church we see in the New Testament. And so what we're going to do um, is take the next couple of weeks and we're going to peer into the book of Acts and we're going to begin to ask that question every week. What, what is for then? What is for now? Uh, what, what should we expect in our own day? And I'm con- convinced that we ought to live more expectantly of God to move in our midst, especially as we read the Word of God and we put into practice what we see the New Testament church doing, praying and fellowshipping together and all these things. And so this is what we're going to be looking at. And I'm convinced of this because we have the same mission, we have the same power, and we have the same Lord and Savior that we read in the New Testament. All right? And so um, today we're going to start the series, and uh, here's the main point. It's all about Jesus. Right? Big surprise. The Bible is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He comes in, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning, the middle, and the end. He, Jesus, is the author and perfecter of our faith, the originator and the completer, the founder and the finisher. Jesus is the reason for all of us. And so this is where we're going to begin because this is what the Bible is about. So let me start by sharing a story. When I was uh, in submarines, and I was a submarine officer for a number of years, and uh, when we were out to sea, and even when we were in the sea, uh, in the sea, in port, there you go, um, we would get into the same rhythms of doing things every day. I don't know if you knew this, but on submarines, you actually live an 18-hour day, not a 24-hour day. So every, you know, you got six hours on watch, six hours off watch, six hours sleeping, hopefully, and then you repeat the process. So you actually have like nine days in your week, which is terrible. And so when you're on the sub, you're, but you're doing like these mundane things, you're taking logs, you're doing maintenance, you're doing training, simulations, all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of all that, it gets real easy to forget about why we're doing all this, to forget about what is the mission? Why are we out here? Why do we have to take these logs again? You begin to lose heart or motivation for what you're doing. And so every now and then, they would bring in a higher-up or an admiral or someone, and he would come in, and he would remind us of the big picture. And he would tell these fantastic stories, you know, sea stories. Maybe they were true, maybe they weren't. But he would remind us of the why, that we were out here. Our mission was strategic deterrence, which meant that our very presence in the middle of the ocean keeps darkness at bay, keeps evil at bay because we have nuclear missiles on our submarine. Okay, this was our mission. And so after listening to these admirals, it would reinvigorate us. It would remind us, oh, yes, this is why we're here. This is the mission. And it would put meaning and purpose back into the everyday mundane things that we do. It made all the difference. And so often, I think this is what happens in the church, right? 
We have all these responsibilities and daily tasks that we're doing, especially if you're a parent of small children. It's just like you're constantly like doing the same thing, saying the same things. And as we're doing that or whatever your job is, we can lose sight of the big picture of why we're doing all this. What does this all mean for us? And I think that God wrote the Bible and Jesus came to earth so that we would be reminded of the big picture. That there is a grand narrative that's playing out right now so that you and I would have hope. We would understand our purpose. We would have meaning and our passion would be restored. This is what happens when we remember the why. Why are we here? What are we doing? Why is it important for us to even gather as a church? And so we're going to begin this series uh, in the book of Acts by looking at the first eight verses. So I encourage you to go there in your Bible or on your app or wherever that is and follow along, see it for yourself. And here's a big idea today. What Jesus began, we are called to finish. What Jesus began, you and I are called to finish because God is writing the story. So let me pray for our time and then we'll jump into this text. Father, again, we thank you that you are bigger than we can imagine, that you are sovereign over every detail of our life, that you know us, that you are writing our story. And I pray today that we would allow our stories to be absorbed into your story. And if we're struggling with encouragement or purpose or meaning or direction or fulfillment, but by looking at your story and who you are, that that might be reignited and reinstated and renewed in our hearts. And so God, we give you this time And I ask you to move today through your word and the power of your spirit. In your name, Jesus, and by your spirit, amen. Well, the first point is simply this. There is a story playing out. And here's the thing. It's both already written and actively being written. Okay, It's already written and it's actively being written. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Here's what he says. Uh, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I would underline that. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I'd underline that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I would underline that. Which, comma, he said, I don't know why I said comma. So you do your speech text and you got to say comma, question mark. I'm so sorry. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right, so... Uh, if you didn't know this, Luke wrote the, the book of Acts. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so he wrote the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts as a two-part series. That's why he says, O Theophilus, uh, I, I began to tell of you what Jesus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And he's talking about the book of Luke, where he tells the story of Jesus. And if you open up the book of Luke, you'll kind of see a little preface there where Luke says, Look, I have, I've talked to many people. I've tried to get all the right data so that you, Theophilus, will understand the things that you have been told and you can have certainty that they are true. And so he's writing a story, Luke is. Luke is part one, the Gospels are part one, and the book of Acts is part two. But notice he says, so what Jesus began to do. And so the book of Acts is telling what Jesus continued to do 
through the church, the story of the church. But did you know there's actually a third part in the New Testament? And it's the book of Revelation. Okay, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I have this nice graphic I made for you. Um, you can think of the New, Test- or the, the New Testament in this way. Part one is the Gospels. Jesus began to, to do and dying on the cross and resurrecting. Part two is the book of Acts. And part three is the book of Revelation. It's telling the end of the story. Okay, did you know that? And then you have all these things in between called the epistles. And these are, uh, there's a fancy word for letters written to the churches that were planted in the book of Acts. And so they're all connected together. And so these epistles are written to give instruction to the churches. And so, of course, the Gospels and Acts are what's called narrative. Uh, and then we have letters. And then Revelation's a little weird, right? There's some narrative in there. There's some letters in the beginning. It's what's called apocalyptic literature. So you get all kinds of weird uh, symbolism and imagery and things going on. And, you know, all kinds of opinions about what's going on there, right? But it is telling the end of the story. So I have this next graphic to kind of give you a timeline what this looks like. So the Gospels, and then you have Acts, and then you have the Epistles being written, and then you have Revelation. And this, uh, I think, and there's different opinions on this, but I think Revelation spans from Jesus' first coming, when he literally came to earth, to his second coming. And so the reason for that, there's some things in Revelation that, well, I won't even go into it, but there's different, there's different opinions about that, and what you think of the millennium and all that stuff, and that's another sermon, another series probably for another day. But I think Revelation spans the entire church age, from when Jesus first came as the king to when he's going to come back as the returning king and finally bring his full kingdom to earth. Okay? So I say, well, where are we on this? Let me show you where we are. Here we are. Somewhere in the book of Revelation. Okay? Where? I don't exactly know where, but we're somewhere in there before Jesus comes back. Okay? So I don't know if you've thought about this, but this is the story of the church. This is the grand story that's being written, and you and I as the church, play a center, a central role in the unfolding of God's story. And if you and I can let our stories be absorbed and get caught up into this, this grand story that's playing out, it begins to put perspective on our life and why we experience the things we do and what our hope and what our purpose and what our meaning is. And so this was my point. There is a story that is being written and is already being written, and you and I are caught up into this story, okay? Now, maybe say, what about the Old Testament? That's like the biggest part of the Bible. Well, the Old Testament, of course, um, comes before the New Testament, and the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, of course, the whole Bible tells the whole story of humanity, first couple chapters in Genesis, creation, fall. And then from chapter three of Genesis all the way to Jesus coming, there's kind of this awaiting of the Messiah, of God to come and rescue his people. And so uh, in many ways, the New Testament is the fulfillment, and Jesus in particular is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Look how Luke describes this section of the Bible to his disciples in Luke chapter 24. In verse 44, he says this, then he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now that three, uh, three words there, the prophets, Psalms, and um, the law of Moses is a shorthand way to say all of the Old Testament. Okay, the Jews, they would have understood that. He's talking about the entire Old Testament. He goes on. This is exciting. Verse 45, then he, Jesus, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses or martyrs of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of the Father. Oh, we just read that in Acts. That's important uh, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed uh, with power from on high. So you see a little bit of overlap from the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts. It's the same author, okay? And his point is this. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And there's all these types in the Old Testament that are pointing forward to Jesus, the, the Lamb of God that was sacrificed in the Exodus. You know, Jesus was the, a better mediator than Moses. Jesus was the better king than King David. It was all pointing forward to Jesus. And this is what Jesus taught. He said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. So it was all pointing to Jesus. And then we get to the book of Revelation, of course, and guess what? The multitudes are surrounded around the throne where the Lamb of God is being worshipped. Jesus is the center. He is the Alpha, the Omega, and the beginning, uh, the beginning and the end and the middle of the story. And our relationship with Him changes everything in our life. And so this is the grand story of Scripture, right? And you can say one theme of all of Scripture is that God desires to be with His people. It began in the garden where God walked in the midst of his people, Adam and Eve. And it ends in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, where what? God is in the presence of his people. Everything between then is how God accomplishes that, because God loves you. Each one of you here, God loves you, and he's calling to you wherever you are. He's saying, look no further. I am the answer. I am the fulfillment of your deepest desires. Come to me and meet me, and receive my grace and salvation. This is the point. Now, here's the thing, like, we all love stories, right? I mean, that's why the entertainment and media industry is a $2.2 trillion industry globally. We love stories, movies, miniseries, books, audibles, podcasts. We love stories. Why? Because this is what we were made for. And we are part of God's greatest story. And so this resonates with who we are. That's why it's important for us to to look at what is playing out on a grand scale, because we're part of the grandest of all stories. All right, so I said it's all about Jesus. And so we said, well, Jesus began. What did he begin? So whatever Jesus began, what did he begin in in the Gospel of Luke? Well, he began God's redemptive plan for his people, to redeem a people back to himself, to usher in this future kingdom of God into the present. He is the key. And so when we look at Scripture, and we look at what Jesus did, right? In Mark, he says, um, the, king, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so he's bringing a kingdom with them. And here's the thing. Jesus did come on a rescue mission to rescue us, to bring us back to God. But it wasn't just a rescue mission. It was more than that. It was an all-out invasion on the kingdom of darkness. And so when he came, he started a beachhead of the kingdom of God with his followers. And for the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of God has been advancing. Did you know that? The church has been steadily growing for 2,000 years. Now, so has the world and the world's population but since Jesus began, the kingdom of God has been growing. Isn't that interesting? 
And here's the truth, that you and I, if we believed in Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins and offers forgiveness for us, we've been freed. We are free to live. We are free to experience and love God. But we're not free to just sit on the couch and enjoy our salvation, right? I mean, we can do that, but God has more for us. Why? Because we have this story playing out. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever heard of the 54th Massachusetts. It's this famous regiment in the Civil War. It was um, the first Union all-black regiment. And it was made of um, free blacks from the North, and up to a quarter of them were slaves that had been freed from the South. And so the slaves were free. They came to the North. But they didn't just come up to the North to enjoy their freedom. They got engaged in the battle because they were still at war, and there were still people in slaves. People, this is the picture of the church. We are not just saved to enjoy our salvation. We are saved to get in the war and be a part of what God is doing here to fight back darkness. Amen? Amen. This is the story that's playing out that you and I get to be a part of. And I'm telling you, it is meant to be an adventure following God. He will ask you to do some crazy things, things that don't make sense because he wants the glory. And so we faithfully, with uncertainty, step into some of these things, and God shows up. And when you read the Bible, this is what happened, right? How I many told people to do some weird things? He told Joshua to take his army and walk around Jericho seven times just shouting. That was the battle plan. Why? God's in control. God's writing the story. And he showed up in a big way. And so there's something to this, recognizing where we are, what God has called us to. And of course, as we look to the end of the story, we have to remember the end, right? Jesus wins, right? Jesus wins in the end. And if we're in Christ, we win with him. Let me um, read to you some of the last verses in the book of Revelation. It says, Behold, I am coming soon. This is Revelation 22, 12 to 15. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he does. I would underline that. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by gates. What's he talking about? This is faith in Jesus. How do you wash your robes? You put your faith in Jesus. You're washed by the blood of the Lamb and you are made clean. And then you get the right to the tree of life to live eternally in the city of God. There's no better place to be for all eternity. I mean, it's just going to be so amazing beyond our imaginations. But, verse 15, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Guys, this is why we are on a mission. Because not everyone has said yes to Jesus yet. And so we are pulled out of slavery, rescued from slavery, so we can go back into the war to rescue more people from slavery. Amen? Now, it's going to be hard, right? Paul says, if you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. We are going to suffer, not just from um, secular cultures or, or godless people or cultures, but we have a real spiritual enemy, and he's going to pursue us and persecute us, okay? So that's why it's so important to know, in the end, who wins. Now, Super Bowl's today, right? Thank you all for coming. I appreciate that. It's a good thing we had a 4 o'clock service. Um, Yeah, thanks. Um, So I'm a a football fan, you probably know. 
And uh, my team was the Bengals. They lost a couple weeks ago. No big deal. Um, I used to be so like, emotionally invested in, in these games. Like to the point I couldn't even watch it. Because if they lost, I was like depressed for a week. And it was like unhealthy. And I knew this. And um, so, uh, you know, God was dealing with me and I was wrestling with God. And, you know, you know being in ministry makes it hard to watch football anyways because things are going on Sunday. Uh, and then the NFL came out with this great thing called NFL Rewind. And um, so now you can go back and you can watch the game without commercials. Amen. Um, but here's the thing. I would only watch the game if I knew they won. Right? Because why waste time if they lose? It's just discouraging. But let me tell you this. Watching a game where you know the team wins changes how you watch it. Right? When that fumble happens in the first quarter and when they're down by 21 at halftime, I'm just like, I can't wait to see how they pull this out. This is going to be awesome. Right? This is the story of God. We are going to win in the end. And we're called to these places of faith and risk. And we don't know how God's going to come through. But unless you take that step, you're never going to see it. But trust that he's going to win. He's going to provide. God loves you. Okay, he's not a cruel taskmaster. Luke 11 says, look, I'm a good father. If even your good fathers who are evil, he clarifies, thank you, Jesus, know how to give good gifts, how much more your father in heaven who's perfectly good, perfectly righteous and loves you so much, how will he not also give you great things? And he specifically says the Holy Spirit there in Luke. Okay, Romans 8, 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? Guys, this changes how we live. This invigorates this truth that I'm trying to get us to see that we can live expectantly in our lives and as the church and watch God do some crazy things. You in for that? I want to see that. So Jesus wins. So here we go. What Jesus began, we are called to finish. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 again. Verses 1 to 8. Okay. In the first book, Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up after he had given commands. Okay, he presented them, verse 3, speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, that's important. Jesus brought the kingdom of God. Verse 4, stay here until the promise of the Father. Verse 6, says, when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they had enough understanding to know that God's going to bring his kingdom. Is now the time, Jesus. You've been resurrected. That was pretty cool. You did a lot of cool miracles. Is now the time? He says, well, here's what he says. Let me tell you. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, or martyrs is the Greek there, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the call. You and I are called to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of a crucified king to the ends of the earth. And you and I are sitting here because we're the ends of the earth in the book of Acts, right? We are the result of faithful uh, missionaries and, and followers of Jesus who laid down their lives and many were killed to bring the message of the gospel to us. And so this is what we're here to do. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus given his, um, his Olivet Discourse on the end of things. He says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
This is the task. And right here in Orlando, we have a number of ministries that are devoted to this task. I mean, this is the mission of the church, but we have you know, crew, pioneers, uh, Wycliffe, translating Bibles into every language. In fact, if you're here and you're with one of those ministries, can you just raise your hand? Yeah, I know we got a number in the church. Awesome. This is what we're here. But the, why, the how is important. Now, he said, wait for the promise of the Father. He said that in the end of Luke. He said in the beginning of uh, Acts. What is he talking about? Well, he specifies. He says, talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Father. We just spent the fall in John 13 to 17, right? And he was, one of the main themes of that was saying, I am in you and you are in me and the Holy Spirit's going to be in you. He's going to live in you. That is the promise of the Father. In fact, he says in chapter 16, he says, if I, it's to your advantage that I go because if I don't go, the Father won't send the Holy Spirit. When does the church in the book of Acts become witnesses? After the Holy Spirit comes. This is our power, our ability, our enablement, our empowerment to live faithful lives for Jesus. And we're going to unpack that next week as we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and the role of the Holy Spirit. But here's the point I want to make right now. And it's really profound if we let this sink in. You and I are the literal body of Christ on earth today. Think about this. When Jesus came in Luke as God incarnate, he had a physical body full of the Spirit of God, and he was doing his ministry, bringing the kingdom. And then he ascended, and he what? He sent his Holy Spirit, and he calls us his body, full of his Spirit. So in, in some way, you and I are the literal hands and feet of Jesus physically on earth today. Let that sink in. That's a profound truth. That's why Paul says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. This is union with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a profound and powerful truth. We let it sink in. Let Let me just show you This is what Jesus says about himself in Acts chapter 9, okay? Saul's conversion, Saul who became Paul, right? He's on his way to Damascus. This bright light shows up, and Jesus speaks to him. Here's what happens, verse 4. And falling to the ground, he, Paul, Saul at that point, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Underline me. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. How is it that Paul, Saul, is persecuting Jesus? Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Here was was Paul's mission before. But Saul ravaged the church, entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Here's the point. Jesus so identifies with the church that when you persecute the church, you're literally persecuting Jesus. It's profound. And elsewhere... In the New Testament, we are literally called the body of Christ. This is the church, the body of Christ, the presence of Jesus, full of the spirit of Jesus in the earth today. And we have the same mission. We have the same power. We have the same Lord. We have the same Savior. What if we really believed that were true? That the church, in some sense, is the hope of the world. This is God's plan for redemption.
you and I, the global church, all over the place. And God is the one writing the story. I mean, it's kind of like God is the author, the church, we're like the pen, and, and the world is the paper, and God is writing the story through us. It's amazing. And it's an adventure. And so we've seen there is a story. Jesus is the center. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. And we are in him as the body of Christ. He is our head, our authority, our source of power, our source of direction and instruction. He's literally the brains of this operation, right? And so what does this mean for us? God is writing this story, and it's the grandest story of all. And we are caught up into it. We get to be a part of it. And what Jesus began, you and I are called to finish. As the body of Christ, filled with the Spirit of Christ, this is what began in the book of Acts. And this is what we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks. And we're going to be asking, what is for now? What is for then? And what does it mean for us to live expectantly in our day that God is going to move? Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you a story in a moment, but let me leave you with a couple application questions for you to ponder and maybe talk about in your groups this week if you're in a group. Number one, where have we, you, looked to lesser stories for hope, for meaning, for fulfillment than the greatest story? And we all do this, right? I mean, the, the, the temptation in our Culture is just to, to zone out to, to Netflix episodes and movies and just get lost in this story because we don't want to deal with our life. We just want to escape. There's a greater story playing out. And if we will turn away from these lessons, it's not bad to do that, okay? But if we would turn away and, and get caught up and enraptured with the story that God is writing, it would change us. Second question, where has your gaze drifted off of Jesus and the story he's writing for you? Where have we got fixated on circumstances and fears and uncertainties? And what does it look like to refocus on him? And the third question is this, where have your eyes drifted off of Jesus and the story that he is writing for others in your life? Your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your friends, your family, This is a God who raises the dead. There is nothing impossible for him. Amen? Amen. Let's not lose sight of who he is. And so let's lift our eyes from our circumstances and to the king of kings and ask him to move. And you and I then get to receive our story. Let Jesus redeem it. Let Jesus renew it. Let Jesus redirect it. And then we get to do this really cool thing of co-writing our story with him in a partnership. It's amazing. So I want to tell you a story now uh, of a woman who who'd lived this, who allowed her story to be uh, enraptured up into God's story. And in honor of Black History Month, I thought we'd tell the story of a Christian, African-American woman, uh, Christian hero of the faith. So I think we have a video. Hopefully it works. We'll see if it does. So let's try that. Harriet Tubman rescued more than 300 slaves over the span of 11 years. Harriet Tubman was one of the most remarkable women. Born a slave in the early 1820s, Araminta Ross changed her name to Harriet Tubman. 
after marrying a free black man named John Tubman around 1844. As a slave, Harriet Tubman was repeatedly whipped. She also later was hit by a lead weight mistakenly, but that lead weight caused her to experience narcolepsy for the rest of her life. Fearing that she would be sold away from her family, in 1849, Tubman fled to Philadelphia using an informal but well-organized network known as the Underground Railroad. She felt that she would be sold away because she was viewed as a sick lady person. She and two of her brothers ran away, and the brothers decided they would return to the plantation. And she, instead of abandoning them, turned around, went back with them to the plantation, and then turned around and escaped a second time by herself. Using her own money, Tubman made several journeys to rescue her sister and brother. And in 1851, Tubman guided a group of 11 fugitives more, earning her the nickname Moses. Harriet Tubman was called Moses of the People, largely because she was so successful in leading slaves out of slavery, out of the South, into the North, which symbolically is known as the Promised Land. Moses, the figure of the Bible, leading his chosen people, Tubman took on that kind of mythic walk. In 1858, Tubman assisted abolitionist John Brown in recruiting men for the raid on Harper's Ferry. During the Civil War, Tubman became a Union Army scout, a nurse, and led an armed expedition to liberate more than 700 slaves. Harriet Tubman was an incredibly brave African-American woman. She sacrificed her whole life, and she freed probably over a thousand people. And she said she could have freed a lot more if they had known they actually were slaves. Although Tubman was widely well-respected during her lifetime, she was impoverished and died of pneumonia in 1913. Tubman was buried with military honors and was later named an American hero by President Barack Obama. Harriet Tubman is one of the amazing women in history. She not only brought these slaves out, but she never lost a life. It's a good story, right? It's a good story. But this was an incomplete story. This is, a, not unsurprisingly, a, a secular version of Harriet. Let me tell you the, the true story of Harriet Tubman and why she did what she did, okay? Harriet Tubman was born in slavery in Maryland in the early 1920s and was christened Armanita Ross by her parents, Harriet and Benjamin Ross, but later decided to go by her mother's first name. Harriet was a devout Christian, okay? Raised in a Methodist church, she never learned to read or write, but gleaned wisdom from a young age by learning Bible stories, memorizing long passages of Scripture, she often drew on the scriptures in her public talks and conversations with people. She grew up during the Second Great Awakening, which was a Protestant religious revival in the United States. Preachers took the gospel of evangelical Christianity from place to place, and the church membership flourished. Christians at this time believed that they needed to reform America in order to usher in Christ's second coming. So they, they got the mission. Okay, her time as a slave was spent being hired out to do housework and later physical labor outdoors. At 14, during an attempt to protect a slave who was running from his master, she was hit in the head by a large weight. Okay, we heard about that. The resulting concussion caused Harriet to experience sudden sleeping spells for the rest of her life. Great, we're good with that. But it may have also been the beginning of a deepening relationship with God. She, quote, began having visions and speaking with God on a regular basis. 
as directly and pragmatically as if he were a guardian uncle whispering instructions exclusively to her and in the most concrete terms about what to do and what not to do, where to go and where not to go. With the help of the Underground Railroad, she was able to make her way to Philadelphia for freedom. However, Harriet was not content to enjoy her freedom on her own and longed for others to be free. In 1850, she made the first of uh, many journeys back to slave territory with the purpose of guiding others to freedom. Harriet felt like her role in the Underground Railroad was a, listen to this, commandment that she had been given from God. Quote, the Lord told me to do this. I said, Oh, Lord, I can't. Don't ask me. Take somebody else. But Harriet also reported that God spoke directly to her. It's you I want, Harriet Tubman. For 10 years, Harriet would work tirelessly as a guide, helping uh, many people, including her own mother and father, make it to freedom. As she would recount stories of rescue after rescue, stories filled with suspense and danger, it would become evident that the closeness of her relationship with God was a primary theme. He protected her, and she trusted him implicitly. Harriet's testimony of God's care for her was that she would go only where he sent her and that he would keep her safe throughout her journey. The power of Harriet Tubman's life was rooted in her constant communion and intimacy with Jesus through the Holy Spirit as she fought against injustice and served others. As someone testified about her, her relations with the deity were personal, even intimate, though respectful on her part. He, God, always addressed her as Armenita, her Armenta. Harriet Tubman lived a life of intimacy with Jesus and wisdom that empowered her to accomplish the task set before her. The abolitionist Thomas Garrett once said about Tubman, I never met a person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God as spoken direct to her soul. She frequently told me that she talked with God and he talked to her every day of her life. She said she ventured only where God sent her and her faith in God was truly great. That is the true story of Harriet Tubman. That is the power of God in someone's life. When we allow our stories to be raptured up into his, and he calls us to do scary things, dangerous things. And Harriet Tubman is just one story among many of what the church is called to. This is the call for us, church. Would you stand? I'll invite the worship team up here. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truths of Scripture. We thank you for the truths of history. Lord, and may we be a people that look for you to work and see you work in powerful ways. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would enter into this room as we continue to worship and begin to move in our hearts. And perhaps you've called some of us here to something risky, something seemingly dangerous. And I pray that we as a people would have the courage to say yes. And that we as a people would devote ourselves to knowing you, Jesus, intimately and personally, that we would walk with you, that you might do amazing things through your church and that you might finish the story that you are writing. God, we love you, Jesus. We are so thankful. We love you. We pray all this in your name and by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and co-workers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.